As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. Hello and welcome to Two Stars, the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. Every week we gather to talk through all the big stories from Trentside. On this episode, we'll hear from Gary Brazil on his new role at the club, reflect on the Wickham win and once again ask with incredulity, did he really play for Forest? All in the company of The Athletic's Forest folk. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Two Stars. Yes, hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams here to talk you through another week in the life of the two-time European champions. I can't do it alone though, so please join me in saying hello to the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Hi Paul. Good morning. Uh, And as usual, the one and only Nick Miller is here. How are you doing, Nick? One and only, I like it. Hello, how you doing? (laughs) Yeah, we've all got very generic names essentially, haven't we? We, we, We've just appointed a new Arsenal writer called Art de Roche, and that that feels like a proper byline name to me. I I feel like I need to up my, my byline name game on that front. That's just brilliant. I love it. I'm, I'm jealous beyond beyond words. It's, there's still time to change your name, Paul. You can you, you can you know, it's, it's it's a free world. You can pick whatever name you like. <laughs> I was thinking that going double barreled might finally get me on Five Live, but no, here we are. Um, yeah, that's the place for me, and I'm very grateful to be here. Speaking of names, before we get stuck in, in honour of the fact we've got Gary Brazil on, I wanted to know if Forrest ever had any player or staff member named after a country, a city. Or a place. Nick, have you managed to come up with any? Yeah, well, there's a bit of a sort of cheat code here because there are places named after absolutely everything in various corners of America. So uh, there's Pierce, Arizona. Um, It was a former mining town that was basically abandoned in the 1940s. Um, Walker, Louisiana. A couple in Australia as well. Robertson, New South Wales. Fun fact, it's where the film Babe was uh, was filmed. What? That uh, was filmed in Australia? That's heartbreaking. And Robertson, New South Wales, also home of tourist attraction, The Big Potato, which is a big potato. (laughs) (laughs) Apart from, um, uh, obviously, in in terms of cities, obviously, there there are a couple of countries, but I think probably Rosario in Argentina is probably the biggest that I could come up with, population 1.27 million. You've done this the other way around, haven't you? You've Googled forest players' names to see if they're place names, whereas I just went through a list of forest players and, 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 and did it tried to pick out place names from from their names so 
That's what I did, Paul, too. It's either being lazy or being efficient. Your, your, your choice, really. Who did you get then, Paul? Uh, Modu Barrow. Utterly, nice. utterly terrible footballer, but but well, he was for Forest at least. He's come on a bit since then. Uh, Matt Derbyshire, the big fan of the cinema, on a Saturday afternoon, joined his time at Forest. Sean Derry, good. Uh, um, my, my personal favourite because I love the place is, is Teddy Sheringham. Oh, yes, is that somewhere in Norfolk, Sheringham? Yeah, there's a great pub there called the Wyndham Arms that does Greek food. So if you're ever in that area, get yourself get yourself to the Wyndham Arms. Uh, this is a pathetic way of trying to get some sponsorship, isn't it? This <laughs> one <laughs> will take it. I did find a country name as well. Oh, did there you? One, there was one country name. Uh, in 1889, there was a, a guy called Jack Holland who was a goalkeeper. Oh, nice. I was kind of stuck on Jason Scotland and wondering whether he ever played for Forest, but, <laughs> but he didn't. Um, the ones I got, all different from yours, actually. It shows this is a, a richer source of tap than I originally thought. Steve Sutton, obviously. These oh. are all towns and places in the UK. Gary Crosby, Jack Lester, Billy Burton, Walter Dudley. 300 appearances, 34th on the all-time list. And I'm not sure if this really counts, but Ian Brecken slash Brecken. Oh. It's not good, is it? I was going to go for Elf Inc. Holland. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Terrible. Um, I think probably, Nick, you just about won that. Rosario was um, particularly satisfying. Yes. Okay. If you've got any that we missed, by the way, you can tweet any of us at any time. We would love to Peter Davenport. Oh, yeah. Oh, Expect just random names to crop up through the rest of the pod now as we think about it. <laughs> uh, we teased at the top of the show. Let's hear now from Gary Brazil, though. Paul spoke to him for The Athletic shortly after his appointment as the club's director of football development. You can read Paul's piece with Gary in full on The Athletic now. If you're not yet a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash forestpod to sign up for just a pound a week. And Paul, before we actually get to the interview, tell us a bit about Gary Brazil, the person. I think I feel like Forest fans know a lot about his, his coaching credentials and his history with the club, but, but not much about him as a man. How did you find him as a, as a personality? I know you've known him for a while. Yeah, yeah. I first got to know him when he was at Notts County. I was covering Notts County at that point when he, he managed them twice. Uh, he's just somebody who's really passionate about his job. He's passionate about football. He loves football. You can tell he takes real pride out of every single one of these lads that comes through the academy and has a career in football. Not not just the ones that go on to be sold for a lot of money, but the ones that go on and play for Crew or Port Vale or Macclesfield or you know anybody who gets a career in football that that earns a living doing what they love because they've come through the Forest Academy. He he loves that, and you could tell he takes real pride in it. He's he walks a fine line, does Gary? Because he, he's he's clearly very bullish and very proud about what he does, but I, I, he he doesn't like. He doesn't like to talk about money. He doesn't like to talk about his achievements. He doesn't like to talk about his own impact on things. But but at the same time, he, he likes to big up these lads that have come through the academy. So uh, he, he tries to do it whilst he tries to talk about their achievements whilst being very selfless and and, and not really giving himself much credit. So he's a good guy, is Gary uh, and, and Forrest are, are lucky to have him. They they they've benefited a great deal from the work he and his staff have done uh, since he first walked through the doors in 2012 uh, I would sit down and try and work out how many players they've produced in that time but I think it'd be nigh on impossible because it must be you know dozens and dozens of players that have played in the Forest first team in in that time since 2012 so they, they owe him a huge debt of gratitude and his, his promotion to a slightly broader role is probably deserved to be fair part of his new remit will be trying to get Forest Category 1 Academy status. Mm. That's the first thing that uh, that Paul asked him about. We'll hear what Gary said in response to that now. This is a step forward in the right direction. 
undoubtedly. We have performed as a, a, a really good Cat 2 and we're performing really well as a Cat 2 from um, sort of the point I came into the football club already. And we've continued to perform really well as a Cat 2 and been very competitive and given the club some really good outcomes um, in terms of players into the first team and then obviously um, return on the investment. Um, but the, the, the drive had always been, has been for a while now. And we, I've kept talking to, to the owners uh, with regard to the possibility of going Cat 1 and what the value to the business would be by doing that. So... Um, looking at um, the impact that would have on recruitment. Bearing in mind as well, our local neighbours, I mean, Notts County do a really good job over there on limited budget. But when you look at the Derby counties, the Leicester cities, the Aston Villas who are really close to, sh- they're all cat one. And it, it can make life quite hard at times to make sure we're trying to recruit the right players. We do well by and large because we work really hard at working on hearts and minds and having good relationships with players mm. and with parents of younger players. Um, but to have that games program, Paul, um, that we're competing against the elite um, is really, really important to us to continue to develop players forward. And as this club continues to grow and hopefully at a point that we get ourselves back in the Premier League, um, we need to be producing Premier League players to mm. be able to um, make an impact on on the, on the club going forward. It's interesting there what he was saying about kind of selling it to the owners as a good way for the business to generate revenue. That that feels to me like a, a sensible way of, of selling it to people who obviously they, they have a passion for Forest because they bought the club, but but they're not sort of deep-rooted in, oh, it's really important to us to see local lads coming through, etc. and so on. There is actually a, a value from a business perspective of doing this. Yeah, and that's the sort of good thing about having a, a very productive academy is that it satisfies, you know, if it works well, as it does with Forest, it, it it can satisfy everyone. It satisfies the, you know, the whoever's managing the team is a sort of constant stream of um, of good players and also, or maybe more valuably, it will give a manager confidence that if he has to pick a young player in a you know an emergency, an injury crisis, or something like that, he can be pretty confident that they'll be able to cope with the first team. It satisfies the fans because you know fans everywhere always love you know homegrown products, um, particularly if they're you know local lads. That's even that's a, that's a, an extra little bonus. And then you know as you and, and as um, as Gary said there satisfies the the business end because you the, the the two main purposes of having a, a a very fruitful academy are either to generate income or to stock first team which you know it, it, with forest in the last few years it's done both okay the next clip we're going to hear is gary speaking about the process of moving from a, a cat two to a cat one academy and how that's regulated there are specific facilities that have to meet the cat one criteria so we will we, we'll be audited again as a Cat 1 club as opposed to a Cat 2 club. So we're audited annually now with um, with, the, with the new regime um, under Gareth Prosser. Um, and we have to meet a criteria um, to have the right facilities mm-hmm. to make sure that we've got the right staffing levels. Um, and then we have to spend an amount of money that allows us to work at, at, at Category 1 as opposed to the levels that are expected from Category 2. There's a bigger funding pot for Cat 1, mm-hmm. but budgetary demands for Cat 1 are significantly greater than Cat 2. So there's a big investment coming from the club, which is fantastic. Mm. It shows, for me, it shows a confidence in us that um, we're worthy of that. And it shows a trust in us that we can go and deliver on Mm. that. But I would hope that we are able to 
a push harder than we already are, which will take some doing, but then we need to be bringing better outcomes even more through than we have done before because being a Cat One club, um, we've literally, in the last couple of months, been able to bring a young player across from Le Havre um, that we really, really like. And we're hoping that it'll open up the doorway to to bring the Cat One status will enable us to sign players of a, a really elite level that a lot of um, clubs and agents might well want to put into Cat One clubs as opposed to Nottingham Forest and Cat Yeah. The key things here, Paul, that I took from that are being able to compete with, with neighbours like Derby and Leicester in, in terms of getting players. They, they both already have the, the Cat One status, but, but also making sure that the, the players and the staff currently in the Forest Academy are being challenged sufficiently. Maybe at the moment they're, they're kind of winning games a little bit too easily for that to actually aid development. I think there's been a lot of frustration about the, the standard of under-23 football at the, at the minute. Uh, teams like Forest, who obviously do have a very good academy and lots of young players coming through all the time, they, they tend to not even play very many senior players in the under-23s. It's only generally if a player's coming back from injury and really needs minutes that they, they get involved. You might see one or two in there, but generally it's the younger generation that play in Forest under-23s and they, they do very, very well. I'm not sure that the teams around them give them that much competition. But if they went up a level, it would uh, it, it would increase the standard and the demands on them again. And, and Gary spoke very clearly about that, about how that would, you know, hopefully help them produce, to produce Premier League players rather than uh, good championship players that they're producing now. I mean, there's the odd exception, you know, a lot of them have gone on to play in the Premier League, like Matty Cash, of course, and you could see Joe Worrell playing there and, and, without banging the Ryan Yates drum too much, there's a belief behind the scenes at Forest that he will go on and play at the top level. Uh, I know not everybody appreciates what he brings to the table, but those who work with him on a daily basis genuinely think he's going to be a Premier League footballer. Uh, time will tell on that one. Hopefully he will be, but and hopefully it'll be with Forest. But uh, the work they do is is invaluable and, and it's great just to sit and spend some time talking to Gary because he's clearly so enthusiastic and that enthusiasm rubs off on on the players and without waffling on too much the one thing I would say as well is that the one thing they put so much importance in at at the academy is making sure that these players come through as good human beings good characters good strong uh, strong minded mentally strong players who who even if they don't make it in football can can take some of the traits and attributes that they learn in the academy into life and just go off and be be decent people and and you know that's got to count for a lot hasn't it yeah, absolutely. Um, Nick, as, as some people will know, I've spent what eight years now watching the, the Chelsea Academy and how they work, and that's in a lot of ways shown to be a kind of standard bearer for it. And that's something that they they go big on is is developing the person as well as the player. But but also, as Paul's alluded to there, with with under twenty three football, actually, it's not really for under twenty three year olds. If you see what I mean, in that you want your eighteen, nineteen year olds playing in that to get a proper test. Once you get to twenty one, twenty two, you ought to be out on loan really, and that's kind of important to, to Forest as well. I think given the the amount of players who they've got out at the moment. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a sort of there, 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 Forest approach this uh, seem to approach it slightly more differently to um, uh, some of the clubs at the kind of maybe we're talking clubs at the kind of more elite level like Tottenham and um, Wolves are quite big on this as well, where they generally don't send um, young players out on loan, but. Um, but most of the Forest players who have kind of come through and established themselves in the first team and, you know, have gone on to 
do better things have spent a little bit of time on loan. Uh, Ryan Yates uh, had a couple of spells, I think he was at Notts County, wasn't he? Um, obviously, Joe Worrell had a year at Rangers, um, and I think the kind of consensus when he was at Rangers was, Christ, if they can afford to send this guy out on loan, then they've got some good players there. So, you know, it also suggests that they're not just kind of sending players out on loan on a whim or you know or randomly without any thought to it they're sending players to places where they think they can actually flourish and you know learn learn some things but places where they can actually you know whether they where they can fit in and they they're not trying to kind of they're not just sending them out um in hope that they might learn something there's there seems to be some kind of thought that goes into it as well and that actually, Paul, it applies to something which Gary mentioned in your, your conversation with him with regard to Will Swan, who's somebody who I know is, is very highly rated by the academy. And Gary kind of saying he went out on the loan, a non-league loan, but even that, they, they saw a totally different player by the time he came back from, from having played men's football. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. He did, I think the phrase he used was he came back a man. And you spoke about Worrell and Cash there, and they went to Dagenham before they went out on loan anywhere else. And... The, the same is probably true there. I mean, it, it is a cliche when people talk about lower league football being more physical and more, more you know, demanding on on that level. But it, it's also true, you know, if you go and play in League Two or in non-league, you're going to have to roll your sleeves up and play uh, men's football, for want of a better way of putting it. And, and you come back to a club like Forest, probably ready for the physical challenges of, of being a professional footballer that without harping on about under 23 football too much there isn't that there isn't that competitiveness there isn't that aggressive edge there isn't that need for desperate need for three points every Saturday afternoon when you're playing in the under 23s and the only way you go and get that is by going out and and playing for a team where it actually matters where the result gets you in a promotion place whether it gets you away from relegation but but where at the end of the day when the whistle's blown and at five o'clock you've won it, it really means something whereas in under 23 football if we're honest half the time it, it probably doesn't mean a lot I know Forest do win the league on a regular basis but they probably should do. So, you know, if they can add a bit of that competitive edge to the under-23 game by going up to the Premier League Division 2, uh, then great. It might it might help them learn even more while still being at Forest, which, which could only be a good thing. Well, as we mentioned, we've all been chuffed, I think, to see so many Nottingham-born players come through the academy. As Brazil explained, that's going to remain a key part of the club's plan. The most significant part of our recruitment and the most significant part of what we're wanting to do is bring local boys through. There's nothing nicer than seeing an Alex Mighton, a Brennan Johnson, um, a Joe Worrell, um, a Jordan Smith, local boys yeah. coming through. I'm going to forget a few, Oliver Burke and Arvin Apaya, yeah. boys that have actually come from the area, Tyler Walker. You know, the, the the crowd, please, please, let's get back to crowds. But, you know, when they sing that he's one of our own, yeah. the, the players feel that. Yeah. And also, the boy that wears the shirt under 9, under 10, under 11, under 12, he feels that first team shirt out with pride, yeah. real pride. Uh, Gary also spoke to Paul about the difficulties of competing with Leicester now they've relocated their training ground. Um, Paul, tell us tell us a little bit more about that because it's it's really interesting and, and quite a, an unusual challenge that, that Forrest have been given by their neighbours. Uh, I mean, basically they've moved 20 miles closer to, to Forrest catchment area, which means they're going to be competing in the same pool of talent, if you like. But I, I don't think it will change things. It will put a little bit more pressure on Forrest. Leicester having this new £100 million training ground, not least because I'm sure <laughs> Leicester's representatives aren't going to be naive. They're going to be the first to want to give young lads a tour around that training ground and say, look, you could come and work here every day. Uh, but at Forrest, 
what they can offer is a very clear pathway into the first team. You know, they make a point of quite often having uh, the young academy players and the academy squad uh, training within viewing distance of the first team so that they can actually see, look, this is where you could be. There's like a carrot a hundred yards away of that's where you want to be every single day. That's where you want to be working. You want to be over there with those lads earning your living, playing for Nottingham Forest. And uh, that's the pathway they can offer. They, they can show very physically, they can list a, a long list of players, Worrell, uh, Cash, Yates, Jordan Smith. I, I could go on all afternoon that have made that step up from going from playing with the academy to playing with the first team. And I actually... I think it's great that Forrest uh, are moving to category one. It, it's brilliant. It shows investment. It shows ambition. It, it, it shows all the right things that Forrest need to be doing. But I don't think anything will ever be more fundamentally fundamentally important than that, being able to say uh, that they've got a track record of getting players into the first team. And, you know, if you come and play for us, you've got a chance of playing professional football. You're not going to get lost in the system at some uh, Premier League club where you might get farmed out. You might end up playing in the under-18s for another year or two than you would do if you are at Forest. I think it's a brilliant thing that they can say, you will get an opportunity here. And I think that will count for anything um, even more than Category 1 status. So, you know, as long as they can maintain that, then then that can be their biggest strength still and can help them to fend off interest from clubs like Leicester, Villa, Derby. Uh, that, that proven track record of giving opportunities. I, I think that's a brilliant thing. Nick, it's, it's an interesting move from Leicester. Is it a bit of a dick move? <laughs> Well, from our perspective, yes, obviously, um, <laughs> everything that Leicester does is. Um, but obviously, it's you, you. You sort of think that things like this are, you know, very calculated, and they, they, um, from our perspective, we, we are kind of um, inclined to think that. Well, they're moving twenty miles closer to Forest. They clearly know that we've got a, you know, a, a great production line here, so they're gonna. They're just trying to cut us off at the knees and steal our young players. But in reality, I would, would imagine that the, the that they just kind of found a site that was convenient for them, and it's just a, a sort of happy accident that they, they might be greatly inconveniencing a, a local rival as well. Um, so, in summary, yes, it is a dick move, but perhaps not an intentional one. <laughs> There's lots of talk these days about philosophies in football clubs. This is what Brazil had to say on that as regards Forest. I think from our point of view, we're very clear on what we are, yeah. Academy. Very clear on that, that um, and going forward, it, I think it's really important for us. And I think the opportunity now is with Chris to sit down and really talk philosophically about what that player looks like to get in Chris's team. Yeah. And then, as we've gone historically from manager to manager, philosophy hasn't particularly stayed the same. And trying to really get an identity that's yeah. what we've created, but it comes from um, a stable environment being able to do that so but, but the, the, the thing moving forward is having something that we say this is us yeah. this is what we are and being able to as i said um, um i was very keen on the, the collaboration of being part of that process and talking about it and being yeah. able to talk about it because we've done that within the academy yeah. so being able to be involved in that philosophical discussion is something that's really close to my heart um the manager the manager the manager dictates that but then growing something as we go further forward that, that, that that's how forest play football uh, finally, Paul asked Gary what his new role means to him. This is what he said. I still love the job enormously. Um, it is a, a labour of love. It does take up a lot of your life, but it's something I really enjoy. And I love the fact that we're able to have a really positive influence on young men's mm-hmm. life. 
and, and change what they might have got out of life. So knowing, having an idea, exactly, you know, Kashi goes there and, you know, you have an idea of the deal that he's got, you know, the life he's going to have in the future from the boy that walks in with a, you know, hole in his shoes yeah. to the boy that is now in a very, very nice place. And then you know he's going to have a really good life going forward. That gives you an enormous amount of pleasure. Yeah. And there are numerous examples of that. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. I love that that line about Matty Cash arriving with a hole in his shoe. It's um, it's pretty Oliver Twist, Nick, when you when you consider where he came from and where he's got to. Yeah, it's uh, I I brought this kid in off the street, and now look at him. He's playing right back for Aston Villa. One thing I, I was quite interested in, um, Paul. I don't know. I'm sort of springing a question on you here that you might not know the answer to. But do you think that, is there any specific reason why? Brazil basically hasn't been poached by someone bigger and shinier. Obviously, he's working for the greatest football team in the world, so he's you know he's presumably very ha- very happy to do that. But you would have thought that someone with his track record of producing young players, when this is becoming, as we were just discussing earlier, not just a a sound kind of f- footballing way of doing things, but a, a, a very effective business plan as well. Do you think there's a, a is there a particular reason why he hasn't moved away from Forest? That's a very good question. It's one I honestly don't know the answer to. I, I, I'm not actually aware of any big clubs ever coming in and courting him. I'm sure he has had other opportunities because, as you say, he's done a very good job. His, his CV would probably match up with uh, anybody who isn't already working at a, a Category 1 status academy. It probably is a bit of a mystery why he hasn't been poached by a, a bigger club, but, you know... Let's not uh, let's not talk about it too much in case anybody gets any ideas. Uh, I know <laughs> they've just tied him down to this new contract and, and given him uh, broader responsibilities. But talking to him and talking to people at the club, I don't get the impression that was particularly in any way to sort of pin him down and tie down his future. I think it was genuinely just a, a reward for the good work he's done and because they want to see him perhaps having more of an influence on the club's overall philosophy and, and perhaps stamp his influence more broadly on on the first team pitch a little bit as well so uh so yeah i mean maybe if we keep doing these interviews with him and keep putting him in the spotlight things will change but uh but hopefully not because he's such an important figure where where would forest be without the 50 million pounds that has been bought in over the last three seasons in in transfer fees it's it's just a ridiculous amount of money when you think about it and you don't want to see players sold you don't want to see your best young talents leave but uh I think they would have been in serious FFP trouble without that money that came in every summer. It's been a vital factor in keeping uh, Forrest on the right side of the fence on that 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 front. So he is genuinely, without over-egging the pudding, one of the most important people at the football club. And it's it's sort of uh, as we were sort of touched on earlier on. It's not just the the money that comes in, but for uh, big parts of the last sort of seven eight years when he's been at the club, him the the the, the youth players that have come through. And him specifically, have been one of the few few things that you kind of feel proud about uh, of supporting uh, supporting Forest. I mean, even 
his brief spells in charge of the first team. He was in charge when Forrest beat Arsenal in the FA Cup a, few, a couple of years ago. So, you know, Brazil's basically the, the best thing that's, that's happened to Forrest in the last, um, in the better part of a decade, which, you know, admittedly, there isn't a huge amount of competition there. But, um, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's important from a sort of, in a sort of more ephemeral way than just the, the money that's come in from the players that have been sold too. Paul, before we move on from from Gary Brazil, just tell us a little bit about his role with the first team. You, you alluded to it there, but he's, he's going to be having a say in the scouting. Yeah, uh, particularly the domestic scouting rather than the overseas. Forrest have got Francois Modisto, who who is in charge to some degree of the, the overseas recruitment and has good contacts uh, around Europe and in Greece with, with other clubs to, you know, keep an eye on the talent that comes up through there but what what they perhaps didn't have so much and I know Chris Hewton's hugely experienced and I've lots of contacts himself but uh, he, he's probably getting on with the job of managing the football club which is probably quite demanding in itself uh, so in the meantime they've asked Gary Brazil and uh, I think Andy Reid's going to be involved as well just to help uh, step up the domestic scouting a little bit I know they they had an influence on some of the signings that came in over the summer they they, they recommended a few uh, to Sabri Lamucci and and played a part in some of the 13 new additions that they made in the summer. Uh, and, and they'll do the same again with, with Chris Hewton. They'll, they'll go out, scout a lot of players uh, and just give Chris Hewton options, I think. I think they'll, they'll compile lots of reports on players they think might be good targets. They'll talk to Hewton about uh, what kind of player he wants, what roles they want to fill, what characteristics he wants to see in, in those potential targets and then come back to him with... Uh, with a list of potential options, which which can only be a helpful thing. The more the more choices he's got to make in in January and and even next summer, then surely the better. But you know that that's that's the extended part that they'll have to play on the scouting front, and he he's also going to have an influence to play on the the philosophy philosophy front. Easy for me to say, which I think is it's a stranger one to assess, isn't it? Because beyond having a conversation with Chris Hewton about what he's done at the academy and. Uh, and, and how they might implement that on the first team. It's harder to understand how that might work. But uh, if they can implement the same kind of philosophy that they've had at the academy on the first team, then it, it can only be a good thing. They, if they can give the club an identity, like your Bournemouths of the past or Swansea's of the past when they've been successful, then they're not all the better for it because there's always been this notion that Forest do things in the Forest way. Uh, but what is the Forest way? Since Cloughy, we've not really seen it have we so if we can get back to giving the club an identity and a way of doing things then uh, it, it, it can't be a bad thing but there's a, a bit I really liked in your interview where it, Brazil talks about that um, and he says something along the lines of I, it's, I don't necessarily want I don't necessarily want to kind of lead that myself and yeah. but I, I was just thinking no 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 do, do please do, do you know <laughs> take control take take control of everything guide everything we, we, we want you to do everything Um so yeah, I don't think don't think anyone would be unhappy if he took over that completely. But actually, Nick, I feel like Chris Hewton, from everything we know of him, and, and Gary Brazil, actually, Hewton won't see it as Brazil stepping on his toes by doing this, will he? I think he'll be grateful for the advice, and, and Brazil, it doesn't appear, has designs on, on becoming the first team manager, so it ought to be quite a fruitful relationship, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Brazil's had enough chances to take a, a first team or the, the first team role before. Um, so he, he seems kind of happy in, in what he's doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, Hewton is sort of, he's kind of an 
in some respects a kind of old style manager in that he's a, a manager rather than um, uh, than a head coach, but he also sort of seems very open minded and will will always kind of um, you know take advice from anyone he thinks will give him useful advice. And given Brazil's status and achievements at the club, he's he's obviously going to take that advice from from someone um, from someone of his his stature. Well, it's a fascinating interview. Remember, you can read more from Gary and Paul's piece available for Athletic subscribers now. Head to theathletic.com slash forestpod to sign up for just a pound a week if you haven't yet already. Okay, next we'll briefly look back on the win against Wigan. So, Paul, you wrote a piece for The Athletic in the aftermath of Forest 2-0 win against Wickham, focusing on Miguel Guerrero. I feel like that's something not many Forest supporters have done till now. Um, what have you learned about him other than, you know, he's not an Olympiacos cast-off necessarily? <laughs> well, I think the main thing we've learned is he's perhaps not the kind of player that we thought he was. Uh, when he first arrived from Olympiacos, let's be honest, he was a bit of an unknown quantity and we've, we've walked that path a few times before uh, where... Players have arrived from Olympiacos as unknown quantities and have turned out to be a bit pants, if we're entirely honest. Uh, in, in his case, uh, when you kind of looked on Twitter and there was Greek Olympiacos fans talking about what he might bring to the table, it sounded like he was a kind of powerful, robust, perhaps even target man kind of figure. But he, he's anything but that. Uh, you know, we, we speak to players uh, fairly regularly, obviously, and, and just that, just chatting to them weeks ago, they were saying what a good impression he'd made on the on the training ground and how he'd, he'd, he'd been not a surprise package, if you like, that's probably a bit unfair for a player that's had quite a good career, uh, but how he'd, he'd, he'd literally not allowed himself to be bullied by the centre halves. He'd come in and, and rolled his sleeves up and really got on with the business of showing that he could play in championship football. And Chris Hutton admitted he didn't know much about him when he first arrived. He knew of him, he knew who he was, but I think he's really, reading between the lines of what Hewton said, he's clearly made a big impression on him because he's given him a chance. I know Lewis Graben is injured, but he plays in a slightly different role to Graben. He plays in that deeper number 10 role where, uh, you know, we I think that people were probably hoping that Freeman would fill that role. In the past, you've had Yao Carvalho and Silva. Uh, but he's come in and, and really suggested it. I know it's only one performance, but in one performance, he suggested that he, he could really compete for that role as well. And if he can play regularly to the same level that he did against Wickham, then... He could be a really good option in that in that number ten role where he's got intelligence, he's got strength, he's got creativity. Uh, and again, we're not we're not getting carried away because it is only one 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 display. But if he if he can produce all those things regularly, then he could be a really a really good asset and a, a good signing from Olympiacos, which which would be uh, a pleasant change of pace. <laughs> Nick, was there was there much else from the the Wickham game that stood out to you other than the fact that Forrest managed to register back to back victories? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the obvious thing is that um while the you know many many signings that were made over the summer may may have been feel, felt rather scattergun one of the things is that um we are uh, we, we do first do have options now um and not just options the signing of Lyle Taylor when when Lewis Graben is fit again then it's difficult to make a case for uh, him coming back in the team, you know, and and last season, the idea that if Graben was fit, he shouldn't be in the first choice for his team was just ludicrous because he was the kind of only reliable source of goals. So, uh, Taylor scoring 
two, and I think possibly more importantly, two very different sorts of goals as well. One and one is a bit of a kind of almost opportunist, just in the right place, header at the back post, and one he very much made for himself. So Taylor, he's he was a he's a, a free signing, but possibly one of the most important signings that Forest have have made in a few years. And just another thing about Guerrero, it's it's I think it's probably important for anyone who may have watched him in the Middlesbrough game to kind of think about. Uh, or, or can sort of consider what what Paul wrote about his his role because against Middlesbrough he was basically playing because Taylor had, was tired and had been kicked around Kennel Road by Luton a few days earlier. Um, so Guerrero was very much having to play a kind of number nine role, and he, you know, in in that role he looked like a very sort of game but slightly limited runner, which presumably is because he was doing a job that is not kind of best suited to him. So he was sort of doing his best in that uh, role, a role that you know isn't the one that we're probably going to see him play for Forest in the um, in the coming season. So yeah, like like Paul, very very encouraged by um, his his performance against Wickham. No game for for the Reds this weekend. Of course, it's international break. On the one hand, Chris Hutton probably would have would have liked to maintain the momentum by get by getting another game in, but Paul. The fact that he's only got five players away, you've got Arthur and Christie with Ireland, Dariqua with Zimbabwe and uh, Ianu with Cyprus. Scott McKenna also in the Scotland squad for their big game against Serbia. It's going to give him time actually to work on the training ground with his players on something that's not just a recovery session. So it could actually be quite a valuable fortnight. Do you know what? It was curious because I, I made that same point to him after the game uh, against Wickham. I said, you know, this will give you the chance to work with your players now. And he, he kind of went, well, no, <laughs> he said we've got. He made the point, and it's a valid one, that they've got nine games in the space of just under a month. I think when they come back, and he said, "I've I've got to give my players a rest. I can't work them hard on the training ground because they've got to cope with what's coming up afterwards. I've got to give them some time off. So uh, I'm not going to get much opportunity to work with them because there's going to be some away on international duty, and then when they come back, I've got I've got to give them a break. I've got to let them recharge the batteries, if you like. So I, I also think that's probably a reason why we are likely to see quite a lot still of, of players like Lewis Graben because Lyle Taylor isn't going to be able to play in all nine of those games. He's going to have to probably rotate, not just up front, but in midfield as well. And in all, in all areas of the pitch, I think you're going to see uh, probably three or four changes in, in, in most games just to help Forrest cope with this really daft run of fixtures. I know it's always busy over the Christmas period, but it feels like it's gone up a level again this year uh, with, with just some truly... Uh, truly demanding games with you know among that as well they've got away games at Bournemouth and Reading and Norwich uh, a couple of which are in midweek as well so there's 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 travel to take into account as well and it's it's going to be a really physically demanding run if Forest are going to climb carry on their climb up the table and get themselves to where they want to be they're going to have to find some energy and and, and find a way of utilizing the the squad that they've got but actually Nick that might work in Forest's favor you know if it's going to be a case if it's not it's not the best team necessarily that's going to get promoted, but but the one with the most endurance. And and you mentioned earlier the depth of the squad. Not many other Championship sides can can boast that to the level that Forest can. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the thing about this sort of thing is this this season is going to be so unpredictable. In theory, it, other teams may approach this break slightly differently, and they they may also be able to give some of their you know players a bit of a rest, but. 
you would think in theory that a team with as many as you said as many options and um kind of who can sort of conserve as much energy over the squad as they can would be successful but we just don't know it's such a sort of chaotic it's going to be such a sort of chaotic season that any kind of logic that we try and apply to it at this stage is is, is probably going to be you know misguided almost it's this it's a division that doesn't make much sense at the best of times, but this season it's going to make even less sense. Sure is. Right, finally today, it's time to ask, did they really play for Forest? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. So it's week two of the feature where we take an obscure name from Forest, not too distant past and question whether or not their time in the Garibaldi was fact or fever dream. This week's suggestion comes courtesy of Simon Frank, who tweeted a picture of Nick Barmby in a Forest kit, which caused an audible yelp of surprise in this part of the East Midlands. Uh, Paul, be honest, did you remember that, that Nick Barmby played for Forest for a bit? I did, yes, but I couldn't tell you much about his time at the club, if I'm entirely honest. It was only five or six games, wasn't it? And uh, it was a brief liaison, if you like. I know he played in a defeat to Derby, which which won't hail him as, you know, Forest fans aren't going to remember him as a hero for that, are they? But uh, other than that, if you asked if you asked people what clubs Nick Barnby played for, I don't think many people would come up with the name of Nottingham Forest, would they? No, I wouldn't have. And and I watched some of the, the six games that he played uh, in the Championship. Second half of the 03-04 season, as Paul mentioned, he played against Derby. That was his last appearance, the Barry Roach coffee cup game. Um, Nick, like all reasonable adults, he, he wasn't a big fan of joking here. Mm, yes, well, he... Um... That, in that Derby game, uh, Derby took a two-nil lead very rapidly, and I think the second one was the um, the goal that we you know we don't like to talk about that we've has caused so much Kenko related trauma over the years. Um, the YouTube, I watched the game on YouTube before we came on, and you've just made it click as to why the graphic at the front is a Derby fan who's uploaded it. Obviously, it's called the Kenko Cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It was a game that um, it was one of the last ones that I remember that they they try, well they attempted to um, beam back to the pitch it's pitch sports diner in the Trent End um, and I kind of trotted along to that I'm not sure why I didn't we couldn't get a ticket for the game for some reason went along to the the next best thing the pitch sports diner but it was apparently too windy to put up the to kind of raise the necessary uh, dish or whatever it was at, at the uh, in Derby so they couldn't actually beam back the game and by the time we'd sort of learned that it wasn't happening it was already 2-0 down and we kind of heard vague mumblings that one of the goals was pretty farcical um, so it was a you know a, a, an iffy day all round but yeah Barmby got um, substituted after 35 minutes of that game when Forrest were 2-0 down um, Kinnear I think brought on 
David Johnson, and uh, apparently they had an argument in the dressing room at halftime. Uh, Barbie jumped in his car and drove off, and that was the last Forest heard of him. The game, he, he's played six games. Um, uh, he scored one goal again in a uh, glorious two-one defeat to Gillingham, and I, I was reading the um, a, a, an article about that game, and uh, featured the following quote from Joe Kinnear. Forest is a smashing club, and I think it's ready to take off. There's unlimited potential. And then later on, discussing the um, th- th- this game was in sort of March, April time, discussing the uh, transfer plans for the coming summer. He said, "I will be delighted if I get half the 25 million Platy got." Just uh, a um, just for reference, these signings that summer were Paul Evans for 25,000 pounds, Chris Commons for an outrageous 300 grand, and then Kevin James. Alan Rogers, Andy Impey, and Paul Gerrard on freeze. Wow. Um, Paul Evans was all right for a bit. I, I quite liked him. Um, maybe not as a player, but as a personality. Scored that goal against uh, West Ham, didn't he, in the, the, the game after Brian Clough died? Yeah, scrappy-do he was. Um, but yeah, Nick Barnby, very inglorious end to what was a, a terrific career. Well, not the end, but uh, towards the end. He went back straight from Forest, straight back to Leeds to play in the Premier League, bizarrely, but not good enough for joking here. There we go. Uh, we'll have another contender into this Hall of Shame next week. <laughs> Before we go, Paul, how do you spend uh, a free weekend on an international break? I was going to try and watch Brennan Johnson playing uh, internationally to see how he gets on, to be honest. Uh with him being called up for Wales, but uh, I think more realistically, I'm going to put my feet up and have a curry on Saturday just just to just to prepare myself and recharge my batteries for the run of nine nine games in the space of a month. Yeah, Ryan Giggs might be doing the same. What about you, Nick? <laughs> very very similar. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be putting my feet up and uh, you know preparing myself for the run of games at Forest. I mean, I, I won't be actually covering those uh, run of nine games, so arguably it'll be less tiring for for me than it will be for Paul. But that, that doesn't really give me um, any um, any reason not to just uh, relax and conserve my energy for it anyway. Lovely stuff. Uh, remember the athletic.com slash forest pod, the place to go to sign up for just a pound a week. This pod remains free for all though. And if you listen via the athletic website or app, you get the ads removed. My thanks to Paul, to Nick, producer Adonis and Gary Brazil, but mainly to you listener. We'll catch up again next week, but from all of us here, it's bye for now. Thank you.